And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Good afternoon and welcome to Christ the King Anglican Church Toronto. We are continuing in our series in Matthew's Gospel and our text today from God's Word is Matthew chapter 3, 13 to 17 that David has just read for us. The Baptism of Jesus. Uh, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to have it open to the passage. There are some more Bibles out in the in Sheridan Hall there if you if you want to have it handy. This is a very important text in the history of the church, especially in the Eastern Church, where it is read on Epiphany at the end of the 12 days of Christmas. In the Western Church, the account of the Magi is read on Epiphany, but in the East, it's Jesus' baptism. The word Epiphany means revelation. And our text today contains a dramatic revelation punctuated by two occurrences of the revelation marker, the word behold. And what is revealed? Well, one can say, and many have said, that this text reveals God as Trinity, and it certainly does. In verses 16 and 17, the heavens open, and God the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and comes to rest on God the Son. And God the Father's voice is heard from heaven extolling God the Son. However, I believe Matthew's purpose is to draw attention to something else by this text. I claim this passage is revealing Jesus's identity, not only as God's son, but also as God's servant, spoken of in the servant songs in the prophet Isaiah. In last week's sermon, Keith mentioned that Isaiah 40 is in the background of the passage about John the Baptist. Today, another text from Isaiah is in the background of this passage about Jesus' baptism. And it's Isaiah chapter 42, the first of four so-called servant songs in Isaiah. The servant songs are four passages in Isaiah that speak of a person called the servant of the Lord. Each says different things about this servant. These passages are usually read during Holy Week. The most famous servant song is the final one, Isaiah 53, which is 
read usually either on Palm Sunday or on Good Friday, because it speaks of a suffering servant who is a willing guilt offering for the sins of many. But today, when we get to verses 16 and 17, our attention will be on the first of the servant songs, Isaiah 42. In it, God's chosen servant, in whom he delights, will quietly and carefully establish justice on the earth. Whereas the climactic Isaiah 53 is about the suffering and humiliation of the servant, followed by his exaltation, Isaiah 42 begins with the humility of the servant. And it is this theme of humility that I want to pick up as we look at the whole of our passage today. The humility of Jesus. How Matthew introduces the adult Jesus by highlighting this quality of humility. And in good uh, Keith Ganser imitation fashion, I will do this using three alliterative headings. <laughs> So here's the outline. Verse 13, Jesus's initiative in responding. Verses 14 and 15, Jesus's insistence on fulfilling all righteousness. And verse 16 and 17, Jesus's identity revealed. So that was Jesus's initiative in responding, his insistence on fulfilling all righteousness, and his identity revealed. So starting with the first point from verse 13, Jesus's humility is shown in his initiative in responding to the news of John the Baptist's ministry. Verse 13 says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Last week's uh, passage that came um, that was about John the Baptist uh, contained verse 5 that said that people from Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan we're going out to John the Baptist. Where, where John was doing his baptisms is in the south of Israel, relatively near the places that I just named. But Galilee is in the north. It's about a three-day walk to get from Nazareth to where John was baptizing. News of John's ministry must have reached Nazareth, where Jesus, an unassuming carpenter about 30 years old, had been living ever since his uh, family returned from Egypt. And Jesus responded by taking the initiative to make the long journey on foot to begin his own ministry in the context of John's ministry. 
Now, there were probably others who also traveled down from Galilee to be baptized by John. But the fact that they were not mentioned as a group suggests that they were few, and it also underscores the special initiative Jesus took when he traveled down from Galilee. No one sent for him, apart from the Holy Spirit, of course, because he was unknown. He hadn't performed any miracles yet, and no one was talking about him. No, Jesus went on his own initiative, quietly, humbly, to begin his ministry, not by doing his own thing, but by entering into what God was already doing through John the Baptist's ministry and message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Indeed, um, as Keith pointed out last week, Jesus, after his baptism and his temptations that uh, Glenn is going to be talking about next week, um, will begin his own ministry by proclaiming the identical message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So that's my first point. Jesus's humility is shown in his initiative in responding to the news of John the Baptist's ministry. He makes the long trek down from Galilee and begins his own ministry in continuity with John's. The second point is from verses 14 and 15. Jesus's humility is shown in his insistence on fulfilling all righteousness. When Jesus shows up to be baptized by John, John protests. We're not sure exactly what John knows about Jesus or how he knows it, since the baptism and the revelation from heaven hasn't happened yet. Some commentators say perhaps there was a prior unrecorded conversation where Jesus said to John, Psst, I'm the Messiah baptize me. Other commentators suggest um, John recognized his cousin and remembered or recalled some remarkable things that his mother Elizabeth said um, about the time Mary came to visit when she was pregnant with Jesus. Actually, back at that time, the pre-born John, full of the Holy Spirit, leapt in his mother's womb on hearing Mary's greeting. Could not the Holy Spirit also now give a word of knowledge to John? Whatever John knows, what we know in verse 14 is that John thinks Jesus should baptize him, not the other way around. And this is coming from the guy who last week in verse 11 said, I baptize with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Anyway, Jesus's words to John at this point are his first words 
in Matthew's Gospel. If you have one of those Bibles that has Jesus's words in red, these are the first red letter words in the whole New Testament. Verse 15, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Much ink has been spilled in trying to interpret this verse. Why does Jesus insist on being baptized? Jesus was without sin. So the stated purpose of John's baptism for repentance did not apply. And what does the phrase to fulfill all righteousness mean? Many times in his gospel, Matthew points out when something happens that fulfills um, some Old Testament prophecy. Um, but here, the word fulfill does not seem to serve that purpose. Matthew also uses the word righteousness several times in his gospel to refer to matters of justice and right behavior. But again, here, righteousness does not seem to have that meaning. Jesus being baptized is not a matter of justice. And there is no Old Testament command that required baptism. Indeed, it, it isn't until we come to the New Testament uh, that we have commands to baptize and be baptized. So some people have taken the to fulfill all righteousness to mean Jesus was instituting the righteous way for believers to be baptized, that is by full immersion. But let's take a close look in context. Jesus starts with, let it be so now. Let it be so suggests permitting something that would otherwise maybe not make sense. Let it be so now suggests this permitting is just for now. This is a singular moment. The adult Jesus is coming on stage for the first time. And in this moment, this is what's meant to happen. Jesus is not going to baptize John with fire, but John is going to baptize Jesus with water. The rest of Jesus's response to John provides a reason to, um, to let this uh, be so now. He says, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. The word us is important. This is about Jesus and John doing something together that is the fitting or proper thing to do at this inaugural moment of Jesus's public life. And since to fulfill all righteousness seems neither to be about fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy or obeying an Old Testament command, the best interpretation seems to be it's about acting out God's will for this unique moment 
in God's salvation plan. Therefore, I, I claim that uh, for Jesus and John together to fulfill all righteousness is uh, in this moment by John baptizing the sinless Jesus means they are acting out God's will for this special moment at the beginning of Jesus's public life. And in doing this, Jesus both submits to God's will for him and identifies with and affirms the people who are submitting to God's will for them by repenting and being baptized by John. I'll give you a simple analogy. What color I wear is not generally a moral issue or dictated by a scriptural command. But if I were preaching at a funeral, the right thing to do would be to wear black, to identify with all who are mourning on such an occasion. And Jesus does something sim a similar kind of thing to wearing black. He identifies himself with the people who are repenting and being baptized by John. Jesus is the one person who does not need to repent. Everyone else needs to repent. But that doesn't mean everyone else does repent. There are the folks that last week John calls a brood of vipers and exhorts to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. But Jesus identifies with those who do know their need to repent and who desire the kind of transformation that Keith spoke about at the end of his message last week. So that's my second point. Jesus's humility is shown in his insistence on being baptized by John to fulfill all righteousness. He humbly submits to God's will for him in this moment at the start of his public life and he identifies with and affirms the people who are submitting to God's will for them by repenting and being baptized. Finally, the third point in verses 16 and 17. Jesus's humility is shown in his revealed identity as God's servant. Let's review what we know so far in Matthew's gospel about Jesus's identity. In chapter one, we as readers learn that Jesus is the son of God by virgin birth to Mary. And he is the son of David by Joseph, a descendant of David, naming him. In chapter two, Jesus is revealed to the Magi as the the Christ or the Messiah prophesied of old. After fleeing to Egypt to escape Herod and returning to live in Nazareth, he grows up incognito 
And Matthew tells us that this was so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Two weeks ago, Keith spoke about how at that time, Nazarene was a derogatory name. To be called a Nazarene meant being treated as an outcast, dismissed, despised, ridiculed. And Keith also talked about how the prophets in various texts, including the servant songs of Isaiah, did indeed point ahead to one who would be regarded and treated in this way. I claim this is actually a good bridge to the identity of Jesus revealed in our passage today, here in chapter 3. However, I'm sure it is far from obvious why. <laughs> I mean, what could be grander for your debut on the public stage than the kind of spectacular supernatural show and divine testimonial that ensued when Jesus emerged from the waters of baptism? Let's uh, reread verses 16 and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Wow, it's, it's amazing. But... What does it have to do with humility? To answer that, um, if you have uh, your Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 12. Um, I'm going to be looking at uh, Matthew chapter 12, beginning at the 14th verse and, and following that. By chapter 12, Jesus is well into his public ministry. And so just reading there from Matthew chapter 12, verse 14 and following. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him. And he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. What Matthew quotes at length from Isaiah is the beginning of chapter 42, the first of the servant songs in Isaiah. And if we take a close look at the first bit of that quotation in verse 18, 
Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him. Sound familiar? <laughs> my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. And I will put my spirit upon him. The heavens were open to him, and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. In his account of Jesus's baptism, Matthew is showing us how a new dimension of Jesus's identity was revealed. That Jesus, the son, is also the servant of Isaiah 42 and of the other servant songs in Isaiah by extension. And here in chapter 12, Matthew records how Jesus's identity as servant works out in his ministry. He is despised by the self-righteous, but followed by the needy whom he heals. He does not seek the limelight, but goes about quietly and with great care, establishing justice for all. So that is point three. Jesus's identity is revealed as not only the son, but also the humble servant. By way of conclusion, let's reflect on something else that uh, comes out in this Matthew 12 passage about Jesus, the humble servant. At the end of verse 15 and verse 16, it says, and many followed him and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. How were people going to make him known that Jesus ordered them not to? Probably not by his full and true identity, but rather as the healer who could solve all your healthcare problems. It reminds me of something that happens later in Matthew's gospel. Jesus will ask his closest followers about his identity. Who do people say that I am? And who do you say I am? And Peter will say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus will reply, you're right. But then he will strictly charge the disciples to tell no one that he is the Christ. Why? What happens next explains why. It turns out that even Jesus's handpicked close followers that spend all of their time with him don't yet know what it really means to be the Christ, the Messiah the Holy Spirit anointed Savior and Lord. They think the job description for the Christ is to lead them on to success and glory, be the answer to everything and solve all their problems. A lot is going to happen to Jesus the Christ 
before his disciples really know him as humble servant, as humiliated savior, and only after that as exalted Lord. And a lot is going to happen to Jesus' disciples also before they humbly and joyfully follow in his footsteps. By God's grace, may we learn from their mistakes without having to repeat them. Hear the word of the Lord. Amen. <laughs>